Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you along with Ivor Davis as we're talking about his latest work, The Beatles and Me. What an exciting assignment. How often would you write on them, Ivor? All the time or just well, at I'd, the I'd, concerts? I'd, I'd, write, I'd write about them every day. And, and can I just go off, off, off course here very, very briefly here? Because sure. a few moments ago you played a, a sensational singer singing Houston, and I think it was Dean Martin. You got that right. Okay, now the reason I mentioned Dean Martin was I was with Dean Martin when he met the Beatles in 1964. And I'll tell you what happened is a story that not, not too many people know. Alan Livingston, who was the boss of Capitol Records, decided to do a fundraiser garden party in a Brentwood house belonging to his mother-in-law. And it was an incredible party because Dean showed up with his wife, and with Dino Jr. and the other kids, and they met the Beatles, who sat around on high chairs and met all the stars of Hollywood, and they and they enjoyed themselves. It was kind of an incredible party, and there was Groucho Marx there, and Jean Jean Gabor, wow. and Dean Martin. And I and, and and it's one of those vivid memories you never forget. I heard I heard that Frank Sinatra was a little uptight with the Beatles. Is that true? Well, if he was little uptight with the Beatles, I don't remember them actually meeting him. But I think he, I think he got to love the Beatles because don't forget he did yesterday. He did a lot of cover mm-hmm. cover songs of the Beatles. So, um, whatever I mean, Sinatra, as you remember and I remember, I mean, he was a kind of moody guy, a brilliant talent, and 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 I also was able to interview him over the years. He was a toughie days but with Dean and Sammy and Peter Lawford. And so Sinatra was huge at the time. And, 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 and even he may have been disenchanted with the Beatles at first because everybody and Elvis was disenchanted with the Beatles because the Beatles knocked every single one of them off the hit parade. Anyway, sorry to get... A, a well, that, that's okay. And the Beach Boys, I think, saw the Beatles as, a, as rivals, right? Well, they did, but don't forget they were around at the same time, and they finally became fairly friendly because the several of the Beach Boys, not Brian Wilson, who decided he didn't like to fly, but the other Beach Boys, uh, I think Carl and a couple of the others. Mike Love. Flew, yeah, Mike Love flew to, uh, I think it was Seattle, uh, uh, in 1965, and they came backstage, and they met the Beatles, and they all got along pretty well. Of course, Brian Wilson, as everybody knows, uh, stopped touring. I mean, he was scared of flying. He had his problems, but Brian, Brian Wilson is still around today, still performing. But he's, I'm getting off the off the subject. Well, that's I okay, but he's a genius, though. Brian, yeah, Brian oh, Wilson. Yeah. I mean, is quite a quite brilliant, and um, and the Beach Boys are still performing. I mean, in in various incarnations. Ivor, what was it about the Beatles that had them explode worldwide? I mean, what was this planet looking for? And the timing for them must have been perfect. It was perfect. They appealed to these young teenage girls who, who, I mean, I spoke to the young teenage girls after the show, and I said to them, uh, you know, what are you doing here? And, and, And then years later, I met many of the young women who were now older women, and I said, hey, you screamed so long, I couldn't hear a 
a damn word. Ah. And, you know, we had a bit of fun. And I said, you know, what was the appeal? And a woman who ran, like, Nordstrom's um, department store, as a, you know, she was a high executive, said, I love the Beatles. I was in love with Paul, and he was in love with me. And I said, oh, how do you know? He said, well, whenever I went to a show, he waved at me and smiled at me, and I knew he loved me. So that kind of gives you the synthesis of what all these young women felt. They were in love with various members of the Beatles, and somehow they believed the Beatles were in love with them. And that was kind of a, a magic formula that you just couldn't dream up, but there it was. Where were you December 8th, 1980, the night John Lennon was shot down? I was in Southern California. I got a call from a friend, and, and I, I want to tell you, it, it was, it was, of course, it was a terrible, terrible shock. But I lived in America. I was with Bobby Kennedy when he got shot in the kitchen of the Ambassador Hotel. I was in America when John Kennedy got shot. And in a way, I mean, not that the, sh the shock of the shootings didn't have an impact, but, but you say, uh, oh, no, not again. Uh, I, 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 you, you know it's horrible, but somehow, because it's happened before, it, it, I don't know. It, 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 I, I, I'm not exactly sure how I'm describing it, but I don't know if I'm giving you the right impression. Deja vu is there, and mm -hmm. you think, oh, no, another another life. I mean, poor John Lennon. What did he deserve to die so young? Uh, awful. Was, uh, were you in shock? I was in shock. But, but you know, I, I, but, but it, living in America, covering big stories, covering things like that, as I say, the Bobby Kennedy thing, uh, seeing it and, and covering the aftermath of John Kennedy, somehow it, it, it's the third or fourth time. And then in 1960, let's see, 68, I think Martin Luther King got shot. And, and, and so famous figures being killed, somehow it, it, it seems like part of the way things are. And, and that kind of maybe softened the shock, if you can say that, although probably it didn't. John Lennon's murderer is going to be uh, 65 years old in May. He's uh, still around. If you had a chance to interview him, what would you ask him? Well, I would ask him, I mean, I've read a lot about what he said. I mean, I think he was certainly mentally unbalanced. There's, I think there's no doubt about it. But is that an excuse for killing a legend, is it? Or anybody. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I would. I, I think if I said to him, "What a terrible waste," or or those kind of things, he would come up with some kind of. He's he's been through the shrink machine, and he knows how to answer. So I don't know what I would ask him, but he would probably give me the many answers that he's given, and I think he's written about it. It it um, it's just a, a, a horrible blot. But because, you know, this year, if John had been around, who knows what. But this year is the 50th anniversary of the Beatles breaking up. So uh, I saw it happening. It didn't happen when I was on tour, but with Brian Epstein's death and, the, and, and Paul going his way and John going his way and all the, 
the divorce of the Beatles was a rather nasty yeah. one. And it was 50 years ago this year. So I don't know. I, I, it, 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 it's one you examine and you think and uh, people have analyzed it. But the Beatles never thought that their longevity would, would extend to more than 50 years. I can tell you that. They, they thought they would last five years at the most. I bet when they were kids in Liverpool playing in their little band, they never thought it would explode like this. Never. Never did. I mean, even on the road, even with the frenzy of what I saw at every single concert and how mad it was at the airport and at the hotels, um, they, John thought he would last for five years. Uh, Ringo told me he was going to get out and take his money and open a, a hairdressing salon huh. for his then-girlfriend. Paul said he might write music. John said he might write music for other rock and roll people. They never imagined in 1964 that you and I would be talking about them today the way we are. Exactly. When they came out and hit the United States with a series of great songs, they, they had just, you know, She Loves You, Hard Day's Night, all this. Who wrote those songs? The Beatles, John and Paul, were a phenomenal writing machine. And... Part of the reason they, they were a writing machine was that Brian Epstein, their manager, and I must give him credit because he turned the grimy kids into the Beatles, Brian Epstein signed them to produce album after album after album. So when we were on the road, it was very often I'd walk into John's suite, which was like two doors away, and there was John sitting on the floor with Paul, yellow pads, writing music. So they, they had to produce, and they were such they were so fluent in writing that, I mean, look at it today. I forget the number of songs, but there are several hundred songs, and many of the several hundred songs are, are, are regular uh, songs that we all know, songs that today my kids and my grandkids know, and possibly yours do. And, and so the longevity is astounding. Oh, it, it truly is, and 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 the songs are just remarkable. I mean, uh, the the way they put it together. Then when they started to make the flip, I couldn't understand what was happening. I was kind of a straight kid growing up, Ivor. Um, you know, you played sports. I was in theater, and and you know, didn't grow my hair long or anything like that. But when they switched to the Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Club Hearts Band time. I went, oh, my God, what's happened to them? What was that, that the Maharashis and all that stuff? Well, well, you've got to realize that when I toured with them in 1964 and, and in the early years, I, I call it uh, lollipop music. I want to hold your hand and she loves me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very little divergence for those early songs. But it worked. It did work. I mean, people loved it. But then what happened was George Martin, who was their record producer, was a genius in the, in the recording studio. And so if you look at the way their music evolved from the straight up and down stuff to the stuff with cellos and orchestras and the Sergeant Pepper stuff and all the and, 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 and such so many other great songs uh, that too many to mention by name, the way the orchestrations changed and the Beatles music I mean I I went to a symphony concert not long ago and they had Beatles music huh. 
Yeah. That's and, and so, so many artists have taken their songs and played with them and at the same time made them hits. Uh, Peggy Lee and Sinatra, and you name them, everybody did the Beatles songs. And they're still, they're evergreens, they're played today all over the world. You've got some great pictures in the Beatles and Me book. Uh, how did you get those? Well, some of the pictures were taken. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't have my iPhone camera with me at the time. Yeah, we didn't have those around then. Oh, yes. That's why. That's why. Uh, <laughs> and, and what happened was there were some great photographers that were around. Uh, Harry Benson, who's a, a terrific photographer from New York. Cheryl Maitland, who was a photographer who lives in Ashland, Oregon, a late photographer. Unfortunately, Cyril died last year. Um, some terrific photographers worked with the Beatles. Kirk Gunther, who's no longer with us, traveled with me, Ron Joy. Great photographers on the tour very kindly provided me with a selection of pictures, which made the book. I mean, without pictures, you've got to have pictures. I mean, every time somebody picks up my book, the first thing they do is they never mind the words. Let's look at the pictures. Did they like going on stage? They love going on stage. They, they, they enjoyed it. But, you know, John said to me towards the end of the second year of touring or the third year of touring, you know, we want people to hear our music, but they come to see us. He said, we're like freak shows. We're like traveling circuses. And we want to stop this because they can't hear us singing anyway. And we want to concentrate purely on our music. And, of course, that was one of the reasons why they broke up, uh, besides the feuding and the behind-the-scenes messy divorce. Um, uh, you know, th th there, was, there was a feeling that people were coming to see them, not to hear them. Interesting spot. And, and now today, we know Paul is still touring. What is Ringo doing? Ringo is still touring with the All-Star Band. And he's very good, very clever Ringo. I mean, Ringo, and he would probably admit it, didn't have the greatest voice of them all. And yet he's, he's made certain songs, Yellow Submarine and a lot of other songs. Sure. Pardon? What was that one song, They're Going to Put Me in the Movies? That was yeah. one of his first ones, right? That's right. But, but when you look at, and I, and I look at them, look back very often, George, and see that Ringo and George Harrison were kind of like the second string singers. The main songs were by John and Paul because right. they wrote them. Exactly. And, 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 and George used to cynically tell me, well, you know, they threw me a morsel. They threw me a song. And Ringo felt the same way. After all, he was the drummer. He wasn't the singer. So John and Paul were the, the brilliant, brilliant writers. But as George evolved, and as, even as Ringo evolved, they turned into great songwriters of their own music. I mean, look at George, uh, um, some of his songs. He, he matured incredibly well. But during the first season of touring in America, George and Ringo were second bananas, and, and it was John and Paul. Has, Ring, but, has Ringo and Paul ever gotten back together on stage? Yes. Um, what happened was, um, actually what happened was in Los Angeles about six months ago, 
I think it was the Dodger Stadium. Paul did his performance, and who showed up? Ringo. And they did two or three songs. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, that is exciting, and that's what people want. And if I may finish the Ringo story, if I may, I... And yeah, I we've got 30 seconds before okay. the break. Okay, so here's the situation. Ringo very cleverly surrounds himself with brilliant up-and-coming and, 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 and well-weathered musicians so that Ringo doesn't perform nonstop. He actually goes off stage and lets the others have their moment in the sun. So Ringo shrewdly does that, has a great show, great value, and if you get a chance to see a Ringo and, and the All-Star Band, I recommend it. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.